Welcome to the Higher Potential Living Podcast, where we discuss improving quality of life by exploring mind, body, and spirit through a mindful lens. Here's your host, Jason Marichello. Hello and welcome once again to Higher Potential Living, everybody. On today's episode, I'm joined by Amanda Clark. Amanda is a professional therapeutic cuddler. And uh, I didn't even know that the service existed, but this episode ended up opening my mind to so many different things. We ended up talking about the basic human need for touch and intimacy on this level that is not sexual. And this is the thing in the world that we live in, any kind of touch, because of how complicated we tend to make things, ends up getting overshadowed by all of these thoughts of what's acceptable, what's not, and how complicated it's going to get. On this episode, we talk about what touch can do just as a very need to let people feel connected, to let people feel loved without that having to be complicated in other ways. Um, It was a great episode. Uh, If you want to learn more about Amanda, you can go to cuddlemeclose.ca and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining in. I am here with Amanda Clark. And Amanda, I'm really excited to to have you here talking with all of us here today. So thanks for jumping in. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jason. Now, Amanda, I'm going to oversimplify and you're going to expand and and all this. But um, basically today we're going to be talking about intimacy, the need for intimacy, how we can show up for each other, all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, we were on the call a little bit before I hit the record button, just talking about how this has kind of come to be and the work that you're doing. But I'd love to say this word, so I'm going to say it, but you are a professional cuddlist. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) And how does one either feel like the calling to become a professional cuddlist or even discover that professional cuddling is a modality? Yeah, I think if you would have told me that I was going to become a professional cuddlist, I would have laughed. Not because I don't, you know, I, touch has always been super important to me, but to do that as a profession, to be a cuddlist as a profession, I just never would have guessed that. But um, it's kind of a funny story. I, um, I've always been into the healing arts and, you know, uh, I moved to Toronto back in 2007 and I was looking for connection and I was looking, you know, I was away from home. I didn't have my friend circle like I used to. And so I was really feeling lonely and I was feeling like that need for community and that need for touch. I wasn't in a relationship and I discovered uh, cuddle parties. And so it was in 2008 that I went to my first cuddle party. And as I mentioned, I've always, I've always been very, um, into touch and very touchy feely person. So I was like, Oh, this is great. Like this is right up my alley. It's going to be perfect for me. But my very first cuddle party, when I got there, I was just like, it was, it was awful. To be honest, it was completely, I had such a strong reaction. Um, it was very awkward. I was up against all my fears around men touching me. And so for my very first cuddle party, I didn't even really cuddle. A whole lot. And so if you would have said to me in that moment that I was going to become a professional cuddlist, I would have been like, wow. But 
I really did know, I, I did really understand the value of touch and, and, you know, I had been on a healing journey. And so I knew that I was up against my fears around, you know, relating and, um, and being touched and, and, you know, um, gender and men. And so I, I just kept going. And as I continued to go, it got easier. I was able to practice consent. I was able to practice saying no, and um, it just progressed. And, and, and then eventually, you know, I found myself more comfortable um, and, you know, was just in that world more, more and more. So, so yeah, here I, I have to ask like a cuddle party. What does yeah. that, what does that look like? So um, the cuddle party is really a it's 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 a, an event where people come together and explore communication and touch conscious healthy touch, but you're never pressured to cuddle. It's really you know um, it's about creating a safe space where we can have these kinds of discussions about what is intimacy, what is healthy touch. Um, so some people you know cuddle, um, some people just sit there and observe and watch some people talk. Um, it's there's, there's exercises to like icebreakers and exercises for people to, um, start to question what is intimacy and what are my boundaries. And so it's kind of like part play shop, part workshop. Um, but really it's, it's an, it's an opportunity to explore, you know, conscious, healthy touch and, and ways to get that in, in, um, in a group, in a group setting. And so it can be really fun <laughs> and it can be really, you know, it can be really nerve wracking for, for a lot of people. When I first started, um, facilitating cuddle parties, um, there were a lot of people who would come like myself and they would just watch and they wouldn't even cuddle. And so they're still trying, you know, trying on, you know, whether it was right for them or whether it was a good fit. When in season one, I can't remember which episode it was. I remember having a conversation about psychosomatics too. And like everything you're saying about, you know, feeling uncomfortable. And we were talking a little bit before we jumped on the call too about like traumas and stuff. But for some people, there could be so much trauma built up around the safety and touch and making sure that you know, there are parameters put in place, things like consent, knowing that everyone understands the same definition of consent and all that kind of stuff. And I think, you know, in those settings, yes, there's so much opportunity for healing, but mm -hmm. also making sure that it's not re-solidifying or re-wounding uh, re or traumatizing any of those other, yeah. those injuries. So, you know, it's, it's amazing how just that act of opening up and recognizing our need for intimacy and, and just bringing ourselves into such a vulnerable place can leave us feeling so raw sometimes as well. So I love this idea. And I guess the concept of using this as a form of, of like therapy almost mm -hmm. has been, you're telling me now, like it's been around for a while. I'm just yeah. kind of getting into this modality, but it makes sense when we think about our body rights traumas in both the mind and the body and Sometimes we just need to feel this feeling of being held or feeling yeah. like we can be accepted as we are. Yeah. And these safe spaces, they allow us to kind of get in touch with those more dormant, you know, dormant feelings that may have been, you know, under the surface and hidden. So we come into these spaces that, you know, they do have protocols in place and guidelines and boundaries and a safe mm -hmm. space really is created so that we can explore 
Um, and so, you know, eventually I got to a point when I was going to cuddle parties where I would just break down and I would cry and I would cry and I would cry and, you know, people would hold me and allow me to go through my process. And there was other times where I would walk out and I would just be so, like you said, I would feel so raw and feel like I needed more of a container to hold me after the party, right? Because so many feelings would come up. Um, And so now I have learned, you know, when I go into spaces and if I feel like, you know, a trigger might come up or old feelings might come up, I, I know how to take care of myself and, and to reach out to people and, um, and get the support that I need. But back then I didn't even really understand what was happening or, um, I didn't really understand the healing, um, how healing can, how healing happens. And, Mm. um, yeah. And so I think, I think now, I think, especially in this line of work, it's really important for me after I see clients knowing this, knowing that this is a very vulnerable position that they're in. I, I do really take a lot of time and care to follow up with them, to check in with them and to provide that aftercare and it be as much and to be, it be as important as, you know, when they are in the session with me to make sure that they're feeling safe and that they feel, you know, heard and that they're okay. Yeah. Cause I know even just having the, the yoga studio, like if we now mind you, when we had more people in the class, but when we would do anything around like hip openers or heart openers, like there would always be people in the class who would start to cry and have emotions come up. Mm-hmm. And I know in our modality of just teaching yoga and owning the studio, like that was something that we weren't necessarily expecting at first and yeah. then quickly trying to come up with, okay, well, let's make sure that people know that they can reach out to us afterwards if stuff does come up or even have resources. Like, honestly, it seems like it went a little bit further than it needed to. But I felt like at one point I had to actually go and get like suicide intervention training just because of how things would come up sometimes for people after meditation and yoga. And like what we're tapping into here is like those those fundamental core needs of intimacy, all this kind of stuff. Like we talked a little bit about attachment trauma. But for so many people who maybe grew up with this old childhood trauma of never feeling fully loved or never feeling fully comforted, now having someone, or sometimes it's that intimacy had to come with strings attached. I know that's like a huge one for so many people. So to actually feel someone hold space for them without there being an expectation for something more or anything like that. So I'm curious, like with your journey from stepping in and feeling not comfortable yourself and then getting to the point of like actually holding space and facilitating these gatherings. Like what was that learning process like for you? It was a lot of trial and error and constantly, you know, um, push, putting myself in these really uncomfortable spaces because I knew the healing had to happen. Mm. Um, and, and I knew that I had a lot of trauma um, that needed to be healed. And I knew that these spaces were a way for me to, to, you know, to do that, to heal, not just because I had, I was in therapy, um, but also being in these kinds of environments where I could practice that more relational, um, connection that you can't always get with a therapist. So it was like putting myself in the field, so to speak. And, 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 um, 
going through what I needed to go through and, but learning through, you know, support and care. And in, like I said, in these very safe spaces. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the distinctions that I'd love to kind of like get into a little bit as well is that difference between, cause I find I'm having this conversation with a lot of people on episode one of this season, my wife and I talk about shifting into uh, a polyamorous lifestyle and like we're just ultimately we're just really big cuddlers but um having to explain the difference to a lot of people of intimacy and sexuality and Mm -hmm. that like we're like yes you can cultivate like tantric or sexual energy sometimes just from breathing with each other but Mm -hmm. there's a difference and i'm hoping maybe you could do a better job than i can about putting words around this but there's a difference sometimes of just holding space and holding somebody in that capacity and like what we would normally associate with like sexual touch because i i think sometimes people's mind groups them together especially with some of the conditioning that we have in the western society right and i think that's probably one of so when i tell people that i'm a professional cuddlist it goes one or two ways one way is people are like oh my god that is so exciting or i've always wanted to do that or i was thinking about doing that or they say you know, they get a funny look on their face and they're like, oh, well, you know, aren't you worried about being mishandled or aren't you worried about sexual misconduct or, um, or that's really weird or that's really odd. Like, why would I want to cuddle a stranger? Mm -hmm. And so I think, um, you know, part of people's judgments or their, their fears is because we don't, we're we don't live people, people haven't learned how to separate, you know, cuddling from the, intimacy they they think or they haven't learned to separate sex from intimacy they uh-huh. think cuddling is is the two are together uh-huh. um and so it's like it's an education in teaching people that you know it's it's just two people coming together and enjoying um platonic touch and and this is where we explore those fears and and you know um intimacy can be looking at each other and gazing into the eyes. It could be just holding presence and, you know, listening to somebody. It could be touching a person's hand. And so a lot of people aren't aware of, of what intimacy is. They, it's just completely in their mind. It's all, it goes towards sex. And so a lot of it is educating, educating people. And, um, even for me, when I first started saying I was a cuddlist, it was like, oh, I don't know. Are people going to judge me? Are they going to think that I'm the sex worker? Mm-hmm. You know, so it for me, I had to kind of dismantle those own judgments and the the judgments that the perceived judgment judgments of others because it can be so mixed up. And it's really interesting because I feel like if more people spent time in other cultures around the world, this wouldn't be so much of a taboo kind of thing to talk about because around the world, people deal with intimacy in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. Like I remember uh, when my wife and I were kind of living in India for a while and seeing two completely straight men, just because they're friends, holding hands, walking down the street or being on like a a train ride and having this elder um, Indian man next to me. And like, he puts his hand on my, my thigh and just kind of like, you know, looks at me and says, how's your day going? Like a complete stranger. And like, even my own conditioning at first, like what the hell's going on and like wanting to pull away, but recognizing that there's just this deeper understanding of like way that we make connections. And at the time I was actually, it was kind of perfect timing. I was reading the book um, Sapiens and it talks about 
you know, uh, anthropological study of like how we evolved into the people that we are today. Mm -hmm. And if we connect back to this, like, primate state of being almost like when we were just small bands of people things like social grooming like all this kind of stuff we had intimacy the idea mm -hmm. of intimacy was part of life like we could all 100 percent be ourselves because if you and i amanda were in the same bands of people mm -hmm. i would see you at your best i would see you at your worst i would see you well, makeup probably didn't exist at that point in time, but I, you know, we would, I don't know, fart in front of each other, like all this kind of stuff. And even that without the touch is part of intimacy. And I think people don't like understand that it's the idea of like, I see you for who you are. You yeah. can let down the walls. You can, you know, if you feel comfortable to let me in because this is a place of non judgment. It is, it is love in the sense of just acceptance. Yeah. And I think we've just been so far removed from that especially um, with everything going on in the world now where it's like we feel so divided in so many different ways we're so far removed from that that's starting to shift back into like the most simple way of relating to each other yeah. seems so foreign which is kind of a funny concept which is why i wanted to get you here yeah. talking today and then we can kind of maybe do something about breaking down some of those preconceived notions yeah, and I think the pandemic has been a blessing in some ways and that it has allowed people to slow down and go inside and kind of question what is meaningful for them. And, mm -hmm. and, and because we're, you know, like hugging and touching all these things that we kind of took for granted and were just basic human, you know, interactions were restricted. We, you know, we're not able to do those things. And so people are really seeing the value of how like the importance and power of touch and mm -hmm. um and so i think the pandemic has has allowed people to kind of really that has been highlighted how important it is and and maybe they are able to see where you know they haven't been getting that and and how they can get that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the stories that I shared with you before we, we jumped on was that whole thing with like the body pillow. And I remember that happening like middle of the pandemic for everyone that's listening here. I had a friend that I uh, was single, had gone through a breakup and was just feeling that lack, that lack of touch, that lack of, of support. So they bought themselves a body pillow and they would, um, someone told me that they even, uh, this was two people now that I've talked to that has done a similar thing. One person said they even would make a hot water bottle and like put mm -hmm. it in with the pillow so that they felt like warmth from it as well. And then they would just cuddle a pillow to help themselves like go to sleep. And this was when um, my wife and I were kind of like making that shift into monogamish, I guess. And the idea just like it, it hits so heavily like a hammer of why can't we just show up for each other, even just for that? Like detach all of the ideas of like, oh, we gotta have a, buy a house together and have kids together, all this kind of stuff. like. What if we can just show up for each other to hold each other when we feel lonely or to just support each other in those ways? Like now I have friends that there's no, like I have uh, one female friend in particular, lovely person, love her to pieces. Uh, we have no sexual interaction whatsoever. But when she was going through a breakup, like I would often go and spend the night at her house and just hold her while she cried. And we would fall asleep in her bed together. And it was just so beautiful to almost like simplify the way that we can show up for each other and just strip it down to the bare bones of just that intimacy again that we're talking about. Right. And making it socially acceptable. Mm -hmm. Right. I think 
this is why your podcast is so great so that people can start to see that it doesn't have to mean something. <laughs> you know, we have these ideas, people have these ideas of what it means to cuddle mm-hmm. and, and what it means to ask for touch. And, and so we have all these preconceived notions and all these myths. And, and, um, and so having these kinds of dialogues and having these kinds of conversations is important for people to see what's possible. And I think the more we can talk about it and, and share our perspectives, because we are in this world, mm-hmm. we are in this world of connecting and, and where this is the norm, it's normal for me to have, you know, like, like you were saying, I have a friend too, where we just cuddle and it, it it's, it's, if we're having a hard day or we're just needing connection or we want to de-stress and we should all have that. We should all have, you know, we should all be able to, if we have that desire, that need for connection and for touch to be able to call our friend and ask. And if, if they can't be there, then someone else, like we should have circles of, of totally. people that we can rely on and, and, and be resourced in that way and, and build these communities. And, and for me, oh my goodness, like, from where I was to where I'm at today, where I, I have these communities that I, I, I now have these communities where I can do that. I can go and be in these safe spaces and be with people who aren't afraid to hold space for me if I'm having a bad day or, you know, um, where it's not weird to give each other a massage if we're tight or tense, you know, like having that touch. And, and you know, I was in a hot tub with some friends last weekend and it was just so beautiful for me to watch I had two friends that were sitting across from me and, and, um, you know, it's always like, there's always a, how would you like to be touched? And then one of the ladies was being touched and, and she was like, you know what, I'm not really feeling like, you know, I can, can you just reduce the pressure here? And it was just like this beautiful negotiation of her speaking to what she wanted and the person, you know, modifying that. And, uh-huh. and it was just like, my heart was just lit up to see because so many people are afraid to ask for what they want Mm -hmm. and, 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 um, or, you know, uh, or afraid of getting a no or afraid of being rejected in, if they're asked, if they ask for what they want. So it's, it's just really beautiful to be in these spaces where people have that, um, they have, they feel empowered to be able to do that. And, uh, Yeah. Yeah. um, You're making me think of so many different aspects here, but on in season one, again, I had a a podcast episode with a a sexologist. His name was Cam Frazier. And we talked about some neo-tantric exercises. And when you were talking about like, how do you want to be touched and what the pressure and all this kind of stuff, like, I feel like there is more of a drive in society now, again, probably from this feeling of lack um, where we are starting to explore some of this and great exercise, like I think it's called the three minute exercise. Yeah, um, Betty Martin. Yeah, exactly. Where you mm-hmm. would ask, like, how do you want to be touched? How do you want to touch me? And then you shift who is in the place of, um, I guess, receiving that pleasure. Mm-hmm. And then there's another one that I, I remember, I think it's called the five second exercise, where it's like, I'm only going to do one exercise for you for five seconds until you have to communicate to me to do the next thing. So if Mm -hmm. I was um, giving you a massage and you said, yeah, I'd love for you to just like massage my head, I would do it for five seconds. And then you would either have to say, can you continue doing the same thing? Or can you go a little bit lower on my neck? And then Mm -hmm. I would do that for five seconds. And just even for us to relearn how to ask for what we want or to feel comfortable to have that kind of dialogue. But on the shadow side of that, 
recognizing how important it is to have the like to have done the work ourselves to know what it is that we actually do want and yeah. for the individuals that we're interacting with to have done the work themselves to be able to hold that proper space because to recognize if if i were to ask you for something and or say like hey uh, amanda could you just massage my traps or something along those lines and you were like um no i don't really feel like touching you right now mm-hmm. for me not to like freak out because that feels like rejection for me and all this kind of stuff and i know that those th- kinds of things can come up but this is where mm-hmm. it helps us realize how much of our own work we we need to kind of do with all of this as well yeah yeah there's definitely a personal development piece in there mm-hmm. and a lot of my clients that's where they get to practice you know learning to hear a no mm-hmm. and it not mean that they're a horrible person or that they've done something horribly wrong you know because that's that that tends to be a lot of um, men's fear asking for what they want is that it's going to be misinterpreted or they're going to get a they're going to get a no and that means something about them and, mm-hmm. and about their desires or their wants and so it's really good practice for clients to you know get used to um, asking for what they want and get used to hearing yes maybe no and mm-hmm. um, just opening the lines of communication and I think so much of it is practice mm-hmm. and and just putting your like I was saying making putting yourself in these kind of sometimes uncomfortable situations because it requires us to get uncomfortable mm-hmm. and it comes up we we are constantly coming up against our edges around you know old stories and old experiences and um and having to face those and that's where the that's where the juice is and that's where the healing and that's where the growth comes is is putting yourself in those uncomfortable situations so that you can you know, practice and, and, and heal and learn and, and grow. And, and then before you know, you, you are in these beautiful communities and these beautiful spaces where it is the norm just to be. And, and so, yeah. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, I, you were talking about the interesting dynamic of like having those conversations with men. And I was thinking about the situations I've been in with women where, part of the reason why they don't feel comfortable to receive even something like cuddling is because how many interactions they've had where they maybe have communicated to men, like all I really feel like is to be cuddled today and then still have the male try to make that go somewhere further. So like they're setting boundaries and those boundaries aren't respected. And I feel like that's where so much of the trauma and fear around something like cuddling comes from is because for many people, it's this idea that it's going to go further. And I think that's a big piece of some of the self work. Like I know for myself in my, my yogic practice, like uh, brahmacharya and tapasya, like this idea of moderation and self-control is Mm -hmm. been like a huge practice in just developing myself as a person, like self-realization and all that kind of stuff. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that's part of emotional maturity, maturity, physical maturity, that like you say, those growing edges bring Mm -hmm. us to. And if we're just always in our comfort zone and and we're just constantly going through life the same way, we're never, we're never pushing ourselves, we're never expanding, we're never growing in that way. I think that's really important that you say that because a lot of the men that do come to see me, um, you know, one of the, I think, advantages that they may not even realize 
and that they have they sh- they have shared with me is that um you know it's normal when you when you're cuddling to to experience feelings of you know arousal and sometimes men do get erections and you know why always whenever some whenever someone always asks me whenever um they ask you know what happens if i get a, an erection I always explain that it's normal. It's natural to have erections. It's normal to feel aroused, but we're not trying to, because it's a platonic non-sexual environment, we're not trying to follow the arousal. Mm-hmm. But of course it's normal, it's natural. But I think that is a fear that that men have. Um, but then when we're, when we're cuddling, we have a cuddle session, um, they learn how to, they learn this idea of self-control. And they learn this idea that, you know, this is, this is a consensual, healthy, this is a a non-sexual environment. And so I need to learn to control those impulses. Mm -hmm. And, and so I think that is, that is, can be a benefit to, you know, these cuddle sessions and to these kinds of environments where um, men get to learn how to practice that and, Mm -hmm. and, um, and so maybe the the bridges, you know, begin to heal between men and women. And and you're right. A lot of when I was doing cuddle parties, there was predom- there was predominantly way more men interested in coming to the parties than women. And then the women that did express interest, they're always they would always say, "Well, that was their fear." Is like, "Well, I'm not sure." You know, we you say it's consensual, non-sexual, platonic, but mm-hmm. in my experience. Um, you know, men have pushed that when I have said no. And, and so these cuddle parties or, you know, seeing a professional cuddle therapist like myself gives you an opportunity to work through that mm-hmm. and be in the, um, in the uh, room or you be with somebody who's a professional who, will, who knows how to nav- navigate that and to enforce the boundaries and set the boundaries um, and even just share what those boundaries are. And I think you touch on something really important, which is like that idea of, okay, yeah. So what if an erection, what if I get an erection and how do I deal with that? And all this kind of stuff. Like if we go back far enough, these are all things that were talked about in society. These are things like sexuality wasn't something that was hidden away. It wasn't something that was, uh, you know, villainized in any way, shape or form. And so even the elders would talk to the younger uh, individuals about this and like all these kinds of things would happen. But so much of our society now is so afraid to touch on these topics. And um, again, we talked about a little bit in that episode with Cam Frazier doing the, uh, the sexology work, but, and, and you and I are totally this whole time we're skirting around like Tantra and near tantric theories here. Um, But the idea, like even in that in tantric work, we're talking about, transmuting sexual energy when it comes up and transforming it into something else. So like if all of a sudden you feel sexual energy to celebrate that and say, oh my goodness, like how can I, how can I use this? Like one of the exercises that came up from um, Cam for men, because he he works pri- primarily with men, is like if you feel that, do some push-ups. Like it sounds silly, but mm-hmm. like just move that yeah. energy through your body or do some yoga, do some breathing, right. like right. all these different tools that we have. Because what happens is so much, and I know I don't have to tell you, but for sake of everyone listening, is when we feel this energy building in us, mm-hmm. we end up clenching our body often. 
And when we have tight muscles, energy can't move. And so what we do is end up keeping that energy trapped around our genitals and trapped around that like lower sacral chakra area. Whereas if we can breathe, if we can relax into it, if we can move qigong, yoga, any of this kind of stuff and actually move it through our body, then we can feel invigorated in different ways than just feeling sexually frustrated. Yeah. And not only that, but it goes beyond just frustration and tension. It actually creates disease and discord in the body and even unhealthy habits, right? Like porn addiction mm-hmm. or gambling or any other type of addiction, food mm-hmm. addiction, alcoholism. Like, I think if more of us learned how to cultivate uh, inner awareness and learned how to work with our energies and how to move the energies, emotional release, emotional release exercises, you know, mm-hmm. um, working with yogic practices, qigong, any kind of like energy to move the energy out through the body and just, um, and, and not holding on to it and, and suppressing it. But yeah, we, we haven't really been taught. It hasn't been, um, a lot of that has been lost, like you were saying. So I think it's like coming back to these ancient practices, coming back to learning about ourselves and our bodies and how, they work and this incredible intelligence that we have and, and allowing ourselves to free that and, and work with that. Yeah. It's, it's so empowering and incredibly healthy. And well, one of the yeah. things you mentioned um, there talking about like the embodiment and the empowering is I know one of the other things that you do is this idea of like feminine embodied coaching and embodiment coaching and all this kind of stuff. And again, like I, I love this idea of teaching or relearning, I guess is better. Cause I think, I think deep down, if we can listen to ourselves, if we can listen to our true self, we know all of this, we can feel it. We feel when there's tension, we feel all this kind of stuff, but yeah. we're just so clouded where we have so much going on and so many distractions around us that we don't feel like we have the time to just listen to what our body and our mind and all that needs. But this idea of like embodiment coaching, I'm going to get you to speak to that a little bit as well. But I know for, for the work that like I've done or a lot of the work that my wife is doing, my wife has like a million playlists for what she calls like her swamping practice. Yes. Like whatever emotions coming up, it's just, she'll just say, I need you to leave the house for yes. like 30 minutes or an hour. And she yes. just cranks the music and swamps it all out, stomps her feet, screams, yes. jumps. And like, what a powerful practice. And it's yes. something, like you said, ancient practices that peoples all around the world discovered on their own. And for yes. me, like, you know, we can get into science, we could talk about metaphysical, we can talk about all this kind of stuff. But I've always looked at it as like, if people pre internet pre being able to like you know tell each other hey this is what i'm doing over here in the side of the world and it's working for me if people's mm-hmm. figured that out mm-hmm. at the same time that there's got to be something to it things like dance like every yeah. culture had dance and forms of dance every culture discovered music and yeah. forms of movement to that every culture has discovered meditation and styles of pranayama and our breathing practices and all this kind of stuff so i think yeah. that's so important again like you said for us to touch back into these ancient yeah. practices so i think yeah. it also happens as certain things get sexy certain things get like popular like yoga mm-hmm. um, or so asana practices in yoga but mm-hmm. we don't teach the rest of it or right. like neo-tantra, um, people will focus on like the sexual components to it. 
but they don't talk about the rest of it and the embodiment and the energy work and all this kind of stuff. So yeah. I'm curious, even with that embodiment practice, like how much of all of this gets tied back in together? Uh, I think I'm pretty pat. Like, I mean, I think I'm passionate about embodiment because of my own personal history with trauma. Mm. Um, you know, I've been healing from complex post-traumatic stress disorder for most of my life. And so for me, the, 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 the biggest learning for me has been coming back into the body, moving out of disassociation and learning to come back to my body and learning what it feels like to feel safe in my body um, and to feel pleasure in my body because of so much pain that I carried for so many years because of the trauma. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it's just been, it's been such a, a deep dive training because of my healing in learning about the body and learning about how powerful our body is and how much wisdom it carries. And so, yeah, in all of the work that I do, whether it's feminine embodiment coaching or cuddling, a lot of it's body-based mm -hmm. and it's all about learning how to get out of the head. We're like, we're just such a, a head centric society and the, the intellect is so valued far more than the wisdom of the body or the intuition. And, and so for me, I'm really passionate about, you know, whether it's through cuddling or whether it's through working with women is helping people come back to the body and learn that it's safe to be here. And, and it's scary. I get that. It's really scary because the body holds all the memory and, you know, feeling and, and so, but we need to go there and in order to liberate ourselves in order to feel alive, right? What's the ladder as staying stuck and trapped and full of disease and discomfort and, you know, constantly, glued to our TVs and our phones and, and disconnected from each other and our most more importantly, ourselves. Mm -hmm. So that's why I think um, it's important to, to find body-based practices so we can learn how to slow down, come back to the body and learn, you know, these, what ancient, you know, what people have been doing for millennia have, have, mm -hmm. have known about the body. And, um, and so, um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's really empowering when you can start to come back home and, and realize that there's, there's nothing outside of you, you have it all within. And then, you know, you hear that, but then to actually live that, to mm -hmm. live that truth. And, um, that's, that's a whole other, like, that's embodied living, that's embodied truth, rather than just intellectualizing a concept is like actually living, living that truth. So, yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty passionate about, you know, helping people to come back to the body and, and to live their, live their life. Um, I was going to say, like, I loved hearing your, like you, you got a little bit louder. You were talking a little with more passion as you were talking about those subjects. And I love seeing that come out in people when they're talking about something that they really care about. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that uh, really just kind of clicked with me when I was listening to you talk is like, we are in a society that celebrates entertainment. It's like, what's the latest entertainment system? What's the latest, you know, all this kind of stuff. And entertainment is just a fancy word for distraction. And like that idea of coming back to the body and being able to sit with yourself mm -hmm. and recognizing that it, that needs to be like, like you, you mentioned, 
just coming back to you, if even cuddling feels uncomfortable with other people, like giving yourself permission to cuddle yourself, giving yourself a hug, touching yourself. And again, it doesn't have to be sexual touch, but just like caressing yourself or you know, giving yourself a head massage or any of this kind of stuff to just yeah. get back into tune with your body because our mind is constantly trying to protect us. Our body is constantly trying to protect us. If we don't feel safe in our mind, in our body, it will do things like starting to numb sections, numb yeah. sections of our, our memory, numb sections of our body. Mm -hmm. And we can start to break that down again by inducing some of that touch and feeling and, and compassion. Yeah. You just brought back a memory. When I first moved to Toronto, I hadn't, um, at that point, I was, I think, mid-20s, and I had experienced trauma, but at that point, it wasn't acute. I didn't realize I had PTSD, and I just remember, you know, moving to this new city, not knowing anybody. I had an old high school friend that was living here, and he let me stay at his place, but we hadn't, you know, had a relationship since we were, you know, in high school. And so, you know, I, I knew him, but we weren't close, mm -hmm. but I just remember I must've felt scared. I, you know, I always, I've always had a, a sense of adventure. So I was like, of course I'm going to this new city. I'm going to go study, but I, I, I must've felt really scared because I remember I was in the bed at night it was time to go to sleep. And I remember like grabbing a pillow and I held that pillow and I was talking to that pillow like it was my inner child. And I was telling her it's going to be okay. And I was soothing her. And it was just like the survival instinct. I don't know if I had, I mean, I was aware of inner child healing at that point, but I didn't really have a lot of practices in place, but it was almost like it was a survival, you know, mechanism that, you know, I just, in that moment, I needed to feel safe and I needed to feel secure. And I grabbed that pillow and just feeling, you know, that, that connection made me feel more comforted and safe and, and it worked. <laughs> yeah, listening to those intuitions, like again, yeah. all of this stuff, self-talk is a powerful tool that we can Absolutely. use. Mantras yeah. that we tell ourselves, I am beautiful. I am loved. And like all of these kinds of things can be really powerful. And yet how many people would say like, well, I'd feel silly if I started doing that or, yeah. you know, having shame around that kind of stuff, but yeah. experiment with what works with you. We all are, I say this in like almost every episode at some point, but we're all walking bags of trauma to some degree and experimenting with things that help you face that and, you know, not trigger you, but bring you to a growth edge of healing is super powerful. Yeah. And not being afraid to be silly and be awkward and to make a fool out of yourself. Like, I think that's also a big part of this isn't common practice, you know, talking to your inner child, grabbing a pillow, looking at yourself in the mirror and, you know, saying beautiful things to yourself. Like this stuff isn't common practice. Nobody really talks about it unless you're in, you know, um, the, these healing war in this healing world. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, well, okay, well then why aren't people doing it? If, if we share the, I know if, a lot of people, one of their biggest barriers is they're afraid to look silly or they're afraid to look like a fool. And so it's like, I think back to this idea of allowing ourselves to be uncomfortable and, mm -hmm. and kind of, you know, moving through that awkwardness. And, and on the other side of that is just, is, is like I said, liberation and freedom and more sovereignty and, and wholeness of self. 
when I can speak um, a little bit from like growing up in a environment where, you know, I was brought up as a hunter, um, construction worker, you know, like all of these things that were like macho man, all this jazz. And then, you know, I don't know how much I let my father down becoming a vegan and, you know, getting out of construction and all this kind of stuff. But um, the idea of like saying to someone like, I love cuddling and just want to cuddle and be cuddled. It seems like the least stereotypical masculine thing that someone can say. And even when I say that now, like I'll still get a look sometimes like, okay, so you, you love cuddling. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. love cuddling. Just want to get up in there and just get all cuddled. And uh, like you say, though, I think this is how we start to make it seem okay for other people to say that is be silly, put yourself out there. You know, mm -hmm. maybe it's a little embarrassing at first, but the more that we do it, I think that secretly or what we think is secretly, we're all extremely silly people. Like mm -hmm. I, uh, my wife will ask me this all the time. I'll be at home making up songs about the toaster and like all this kind of stuff. And she's like, I don't know if there's anyone like you out there. I'm like, I think there is. I think yeah. no one's just like out there showing yeah. outside of them, but totally. we do so much more of that and yeah. let it be okay. And just think how different the world would be if we were a little more bold about showing our silly and showing, yeah. you know, all of these sides of ourselves that we hide so much. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think it's, people are afraid to be authentic and be real. And it, I think the big piece around that is of being afraid to be silly or to feel like they're um, going to be judged or that it, they're going to look awkward or they're going to look silly. I think, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's like, just, uh, I think when you come back to like loving yourself, no matter what, mm -hmm. then you don't, you're not worrying about so much what other people think and you can be brave and you can be authentic. And I, I can see like, there's a lot of times where I just say what it is that I'm thinking or feeling. And I see the impact that has on people around me, how it, it gives them permission, or at least I can see the world, the wheels turning in their brain of like, Oh, I think, yeah, maybe I can do that too. But uh -huh. so many you know, so many of us have been conditioned to be a good girl and be polite and keep your voice down. And, and um, yeah, it's like letting all that, all those rules go and coming back to your, yourself, your true self, your authentic self. And when you do, it gives other people, you know, permission to. Absolutely. I was, um, I was fire keeping for a sweat lodge a while back and uh the way that this particular group that i'm a part of is the men will do fire keeping when the women are in sweat and then when mm -hmm. men are in sweat the women will do the fire keeping and it's just the idea of being in service and i remember this one sweat lodge um you know being on the outside of the sweat you can kind of hear sometimes what the voice they're saying not that you're trying to eavesdrop or anything but you're you're standing there yeah. and um my wife really worked hard at reclaiming her voice and being able to use it and speaking her power and all of this kind of stuff. And there was something that was so noticeable that would happen as the women would go around the circle in the sweat. I can always hear my my wife's voice. She was like twice as loud as anybody else was. And you could just hear like some mumbling, muttering or whatever it was, <laughs> kind of like low voices, low voices. And when it get to her, she would be like talking about how she's going to reclaim the power of her pussy and like, you know, all this mm -hmm. kind of stuff that at first would kind of like take some of the other women back you can kind of like hear it or they'd like giggle a little bit but then every yeah. other woman after her in the circle it was almost like a switch would happen then and you'd hear yeah. 
their voices would just get louder and louder as you went each woman after her. And sometimes it takes someone like yourself or other people doing this kind of work who just lead the way, show, give permission. And then it just emboldens people to say like, oh, if, if she can do it and she hasn't been stoned to death or anything like that, then maybe I can try a little bit of that too. And under safe settings, then we can explore that and see what that feels like and uh, dive deeper into it. So yeah, mm -hmm. I really appreciate um, everything that you're, you're saying at this point. Yeah. And I do want to give you the opportunity. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and I can really resonate with that that story because I've been there so many times where I'm the, the loudest one because I'm very expressive and also yeah. have a lot of emotion. And I've been doing this work for a long time. So I know, you know, I, I do feel free to be myself. And so, yeah, I can totally resonate with your wife and her mm. full unabashed expression. <laughs> now, I want to give some time because we're kind of getting close to the, the end of this. So we've talked about some of the cuddling work, but how do people find either yourself or other groups? Like I know it's trickier now with uh, the pandemic, though I do believe that it's still very important under the right settings for us to have closeness and intimacy, maybe now more than ever, but pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, all that, like how do people find out about like professional cuddlists? Mm -hmm. um, well, I have my own website, cuddlemeclose.ca. So you can find me through Google. Um, but there's also a cuddling platform called cutter cuddlecomfort.com. I think there's also the cuddlist or cuddlist.com. Um, so there's, there's different cuddling platforms that, you know, as this becomes more known and more widely accepted, more and more, uh, websites are hosting and, you know, these services are becoming more available. Um, you know, meetup was a good, uh, a good place to, and it still is like, you know, I had a cuddle party not too long ago and I put it up on meetup. Um, it was a very private, small cuddle party, uh, within the, the government, um, mm -hmm. guidelines of how many people were allowed to be there. And so I still use meetup for that. And, and so it's still, you can still go to meetup. Um, I've got my cuddling services promoted on there as well. Um, there's, a, there's other like, um, you know, circles and different events still posted on there where people can meet. Um, but yeah, I would just say that, uh, you know, just Google and, 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 um, and, and just ask, ask, ask people, ask around. And, um, I think if you don't know, I think you can ask people, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very simple, but, you know, asking, asking around and, when I first moved here, I didn't know anybody. And I was asking, okay, I have an interest in this. Like, where do these people meet? Where do they, mm. you know, connect? And, and, and then you find your community and you find those, those places where you can get your needs met and, um, and you can explore other different areas. If it's not cuddling, maybe it's something else. And mm. maybe, it, maybe it's Tantra or yoga or Qigong or whatever, mm. you know, you're interested in. Yeah, I think that's great. And one of the things like for people listening, like you and I kind of talked about it. I know this isn't something specifically that you have done much area in, but I know with um, the field of of cuddling and professional cuddling that there's even a whole other realm of uh, people hiring services for like end of death uh, portions and like people who find themselves at places where they don't want to be alone. They're going through things and just knowing that there could be somebody there i remember hearing about it years ago before i ever heard of 
the idea of professional cuddlers, of people doing, um, there was a group that I knew that would go in at end of life for people and one person would get in bed and just hold the individual as they passed and uh, two others would perform music, like live music at bedside. And this idea of just fully being able to show up for each other's, again, in ways that we were doing for each other so many hundreds of years ago or thousands of years ago. But I love the idea of bringing this back. I think, like you said, some of the good stuff that has come on the other side of this pandemic is, you know, we talked about needing to feel uncomfortable to really make some of the changes. And I think many of us have felt uncomfortable and it's made us reevaluate things, reevaluate what's important in our lives, reevaluate um, what we feel we need and you know, this is the kind of stuff that comes from the end of it, then maybe in the long term, we're going to look at this and say like, yeah, that was a huge turning point for me. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. And I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, more and more people will be following those, those needs and those desires to get what they want. And, mm-hmm. um, and that and I'm hopeful that more and more people will provide those kinds of safe spaces for people to come and explore. And, and um, I love what you said about, I didn't know that existed, but that's like, oh, that makes my heart so open and, and feels so warm that that even exists. Mm. So yeah, I, I really, I'm hopeful we're going in a positive direction. And, and I think the pandemic has, you know, really highlighted what's important for people and, and, um, the value of connection and human touch. Yeah, amazing. Amanda, thank you so much for joining me today. I feel like we could definitely have follow-up episodes in the future. Time seems to go by really quickly when we get onto like juicy topics and everything. But one last yeah. time, it was cuddlemeclose.ca. Yes. Awesome. Uh, so we'll definitely make sure that people know how to get a hold of you if they're interested in all of this. And thank you so much for all the work that you do. And thanks for joining me today. Awesome. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for having me. Have a great one. You too. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Higher Potential Living Podcast. If you would like to learn more about Higher Potential Living and the services we offer, please visit www.higherpotentialliving.com. We offer different online courses, in-person courses, mindfulness and meditation retreats, and we have a variety of different coaches that are there to help you with anything that you might be going through. So please check us out. You can also help support the work we do by subscribing to this podcast anywhere you're listening, and of course, sharing it and telling your friends all about it. Thank you so much and have a great day.